Hello, brothers and sisters. This is Pastor Jason Bruns coming to you on our first podcast. I'm excited to be able to share with you some things in the scriptures and some things that hopefully will allow you to live a more abundant life through Christ. I was thinking about this morning, the first topic that I wanted to share is four basic needs we have as people. Four basic needs we have as people. And the reason for this is I find a lot of times the people that I counsel with, they struggle with things that they really don't want to do. The Apostle Paul said it. He said that the things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I do want to do, I don't do. So even the Apostle Paul that wrote over a third of the New Testament battled with this idea of repeated behavior that he had in his life that he did not want to do. And that's where I find most of the people that come to me, especially to counsel with me and especially at the altar, they're like, why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep struggling this area? Why do I, when my spouse says one thing to me, I get upset, I get mad, I get triggered. I get angry and it's really not that big of a deal, but I get triggered and it upsets me. Or why when my spouse says something to me, do I start crying or why do I withdraw or do I begin to fight over things that really aren't that big of a deal? Now you might be thinking, you know, I don't ever have those struggles and I don't have that problem. Then this podcast probably isn't for you. A lot of us have struggles in our lives and we just don't understand. We just don't, we want the common, we want to know the answer. It's one thing to identify a problem. It's another thing to understand why do I keep having this same problem? And, and I think most of this is met in those four basic needs. If we can explain that in a way you can understand it, I think it'll be great help to you. And first of all, the first greatest need is love. And we need to be loved. As a young age, we need to be loved. We came out of our mother's womb. We need to be loved. We need to be taken care of. We need to be changed. We need to be fed. And that basic instinct in us is God-given instinct that's inside of our soul that he gives us that we may have love for him. We want to be loved. And I find most of the time with with women, uh, not, not just in women, but most of the time in women, this is the one of the greatest needs that they have. Uh, Emerson Egrich wrote a wonderful book called Love and Respect. I strongly recommend that book to you if you're married and or if you're considering being married. And Emerson Egrich says that the greatest need of a woman is to be loved and the greatest need of a man is to be respected. And But this need of love is natural to all people. But really, God met our need through love. He showed us that he loved us. He says, the Bible says there's no greater love that a man has than to lay down his life for his friend, which is what Jesus did for us. He laid down his life for us because he loved us, not because he wanted to control us, not because he wanted to manipulate us, not because of any other reason, because he loved us. He knew, God the Father knew, that within ourselves, it was impossible to meet the need of righteousness. So he had to send his son that he loved to die on a cross because he loved us. Why do we love him? Because he first loved us. But many times, if we don't have that meat of love met, we try to have that, that need met other places. You see this a lot in families that are you know dysfunctional, that their, their teenagers begin to rebel, their teenagers begin to attach. At about the age of 12 to 13, uh, I don't know if, if you don't have teenagers by that age of now, I'm sorry to break the news to you, but you'll lose something. You'll lose a, a, a certain part of that relationship because they'll begin detaching from their parents. The Bible, this is natural. The Bible says that when a, the child is older, it shall depart from its mother and father and cleave to its spouse. And that, that's, that's, what, that's what naturally will happen. But when that happens, a lot of times you see young girls and young boys attach themselves to someone that's unhealthy because their need for love. And, and this is really a 
mere result of the flesh. Uh, many of us, I wasn't saved till I was 29 years old, so I didn't understand a lot of these things. But many times we just, we want love so bad. You know, it reminds me of the old song, you know, looking for love in all the wrong places. And really, if we have this need, this love, which is natural, but if it's not met through Christ at a young age, what we'll do is, is we'll find love wherever we can get it. Anything that looks like love, then we'll receive it. If a boy, I've heard this before. I, I heard people say, well, you know, he's nice to me. Well, she's nice to me. Well, let me say this. The devil was nice in the garden to Eve as well. He was very subtle. He was very kind. He was a liar and he was out to destroy their soul but he was kind. And you know, sometimes some of the kindest people in the world can be the most vile. I know that's shocking that I would say that, but it's true, is that people that have figured out this art of manipulation, they really have figured out to be nice. They can have the wrong motives, but they can be nice. But how many of you know, if we meet our need of love through God, then we filled with love. I I like to think everybody has a love tank and our love tanks are either full or empty. And if we were raised in a home with good parents and raised in a home with love, with good boundaries, and with good a sense of nurturing, then we understand that we were. We, we we are used to having a full love tank, but a lot of times people that I meet with, they haven't had a, even a father in their life or maybe even a mother in their life that's cared or that's love. They just kind of existed, and what, some of them don't even speak to them. So their love tank in the same way, their perception. See, we're building perceptions and ideas all throughout our life. Our mind is a computer that's trying to equate, is this good? Is this bad? Is is this wrong? Is this right? And and basically, we're trying to decide that in our consciousness, and then at times, it's downloaded into our soul. So all of a sudden, we start building beliefs. See, beliefs is the core of the person. So if I believe that I'm loved, then the world is a safe place. If I don't believe I'm loved, then the world is a dangerous place. And deep inside the person are these needs that have been met or not met accordingly. But no matter what, we want to meet the needs. How many of you know that according to the scripture, that if we if we walk in the spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So the key is to walk in the spirit. Why do we keep doing the same thing over and over again? Well, normally it's because that need of love's not met. You know, the wife keeps getting upset with her husband. He's not changing. Everything's the same. He's going to work every day. He's coming home every day. He's being faithful to her. They're in church. He's doing what he can do. But the wife says, I just don't feel loved. Well, sometimes that's not the husband's fault. Now, sometimes it is the husband's fault and the husband can always do better, but I've seen men that produced on a scale that I would call them an A+. They have a 100% whenever it comes to performing, to treating their wife right, to doing things right, but the wife still doesn't feel loved. Why is that? Well, a lot of times because the need of their love tank, if you will, is not being filled by Christ and not being filled and they're they're receiving it. The Bible says that the blind lead the blind, they both fall into the ditch. But So for my spouse, for me to be able to love her, I have to fill up on the things of God, and then I'm able to hand those things to her. If I'm blind and I'm walking not in love and not walking in the Spirit and not walking with God, then how could I ever love her? Because I truly can't understand love unless I understand it from the concept of how Christ loved us. And so I'm to love my wife as Christ loved the church. But that need of love was met on the cross when Jesus died for our sins. He proved to us that he loved us. But then the second need that I want to talk about is self-worth. And self-worth was also determined on the cross. It was met on the cross. He said, 
God said this. He said, I think your worth is so much you're a rebellious people, fallen into sin. You're bent towards sin, if you will. But he says, I love you so much that I'm going to give the greatest value, the, the greatest thing I've ever created, which is my son, which is perfect. And I love you. So your worth is determined. How do we decide what something's worth? We decide what something worth by what's the price that someone's willing to pay for it. If I don't know what my car's worth and I can sell in an auction, I can find out what the worth is, whether I may think it's worth twice as much or half as much, but the bottom line is it's worth the price someone would pay for it. So Christ died on a cross and he said, your value, your worth is worth what I say that it is. And my son died. That's why we serve God, not because we want a blessed life, not because we want to just follow some rules, but we serve God because he said we were worth more than anyone said that we were worth. And so we serve God out of a love for him. So our self-worth was met on the cross, but you see people that don't have self-worth and they struggle with self-worth, which can lead to depression, can lead to other problems in their life. But self-worth, they're constantly trying. They're like a they're like a worth vacuum. They're waiting for someone to pat them on the back. They're waiting for someone to say they've done something. You know, a wife can't compliment a husband enough because he has low self-worth. You know, she, she says, you know, I love you. I appreciate you. And she kissed him at night and she, they have the intimacy, but still the husband doesn't feel worth. And he says, I still feel like a failure. Well, the truth is it's because the result of the flesh. And, you know, I don't think we need to point our fingers and say, ah, you're in the flesh. Just do better. Pray harder. You know, which is true. We can pray harder, but sometimes it's deep inside of us. We believe lies that say we're worthless because of the situations we were in with our families. Because when we were a child, we listened to the voice of the enemy because we didn't have God in our life. And we really have to have that worth met through God and the work he did on the cross. You know, thinking about this, one of the first things I heard whenever I went to get a degree in counseling, and the illustration was this, that a Rembrandt painting, if it's worth $5 million, is worth the same if it hangs in a million-dollar mansion or if it hangs in a hundred-dollar shack. See, God says your same worth, whether you just were saved or whether you've been saved for a hundred years, the truth is, he says, your worth does not change. Your value is the same. And by the way, the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So even if we didn't serve him, even if we reject him and don't serve him, he says, your worth is still enough that I died for you. And so he's determined our worth. And then significance is the third need. And Significance is a little bit different. I find most men that struggle that come to my office and that, and that talk with me and, and pray with me at the altar, that they deal with significance problem. And really, significance is kind of hard to understand, but I like to think of it this way. Do you remember when Joseph was put into rulership by Pharaoh and he gave him the ring and he says, this is my signet. This is what I'm giving you, give you power and control over everything I do. I like to think of it as the king's ring. And if you were given that and handed that, when people saw it, they may not even know who you were, but when they saw the king's scepter, they knew this man, this person has authority and power because of what that signifies. And so when someone sees you, what do they think about you? And I see a lot of men struggling today that that come into my office that have said, you know, I can't believe this person doesn't respect me. I can't believe this person's mad at me. I can't believe they don't see my heart. Why don't they understand? And they're frustrated 
frustrated and they're and they're determined and they're they're ready to quit their job that that supplies for their family. They're ready to quit their church because someone in the church doesn't like them. Well, friends, I got news. There's many times if you've lived life long at all, you'll know that eventually there's going to be some people that don't like the way you do things. Uh, people draw opinions about you or come up with conclusions about who you are. But the truth is how I look to people. I got to get my mind off of the things that are horizontal. I got to get my mind off of the relationships that are beside me. I know it's good to have good friends, but it's another thing to focus on what they think about you. The apostle Paul addresses, he said, you should not compare yourselves among yourselves because this is not good. That's what he said. He said, you shouldn't compare yourselves among yourselves. And so it's just not good. It can be harmful because there's always someone smarter. There's always someone uh, richer. There's always someone that is going to look better to the public. But the truth is we need to draw our strength, our significance from the word of God. We need to look into the word of God and say, what is he? He says, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. He says, he knows every hair on my head. He said, he knows me better than I. Jeremiah said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. That's what Jeremiah said, inspired by the Holy Spirit to say it. And so God knows you. And he says, you're so significant that I want to have a relationship with you. I see you as something loved, something perfect, something right. And so our significance is met also in the cross. But then last but not least, it's security. Security is a lot of times in in married relationships, they come in, they come to visit and the woman's upset because the man uh, can't hold down a job because the man spends too much money because the man, and a lot of times they're rightly so upset. You know, they, they've drained the checkbook enough times, you know, they're, they're tired of it. And, and I like to ask the question, what do you need? What would make you feel secure? I know women that aren't comfortable in their relationship with their spouse until they have a thousand dollars in their savings. You know, and there's a, there's a reasonable need there. I mean, I mean, you don't want to be going to the mail every day waiting for a pink slip to come in. But many times it's the security they're really asking. They, it's not that they're trying to beat their spouse down, but they really, I, couples, many times I say, hey, what are you saying? What are you wanting? And normally it's a deep rooted need inside of them that makes them feel, I've seen people that have a hundred thousand dollars in their savings account, but they don't feel secure. They always feel like something bad's going to happen, or they're always trying to control a situation. And many times it's because it doesn't matter if they had $10 billion, they still wouldn't feel secure financially. But really, we know it's a lot more than about finances, that really they don't feel safe in this world. It's dangerous. It's not secure. And really that's a deep rooted need inside of them that needs to be resolved. They really need, with all these needs, the the key to the answer of the whole thing is how can I get these needs met? Well, first of all, we need to face your needs that your needs not being met and you're trying to result to the flesh to meet these needs. That's the first thing. I'm not I'm not doing it God's way. See, God's way is that we have our needs met through him and we help others up this hill called life. The world system is that we push all the rats down to the bottom, and if we step on their heads and their hearts and their hands and their feet, it doesn't matter as long as we get to the top. But in God's system, it is, let's get our needs met through God, and then we can allow to help other people. See, I'm secure in God. I was saved 15 years ago, and I am secure in God. I don't believe that that's a free license to sin, but I believe that if I'm in Him and He's in me, then I'm secure and my needs are met. And even if my employer gets mad and fires me, 
guess what? I still am taken care of by God. God still meets my need of security because I'm secure. How much better and more effective can we be as people is if our needs are met through love, we feel love, we feel self-worth, we feel significance, and we feel security. We are full in God. You know, Second Peter chapter 1 verse 3 says this, according as his divine power hath given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. See, he's given us all things that pertain to life. Listen to that scripture. That pertain all things that pertain to life and godliness. Well, I don't have an excuse now to be mean. I don't have an excuse now to get upset and tell people off and go through three jobs a year. I don't have an excuse now that I just don't feel loved, so I disrespect my husband. I just don't have an excuse now that I have low self-worth, so I have a right to be depressed and to be laid up for three days and not live a productive life and take care of my responsibilities that I've had before God. I don't have an excuse now because someone got mad at me at work and doesn't approve the way that I am and doesn't like the way that I am, so I just push him out of my life. And, you know, God, God doesn't want that. You know, sometimes I've learned that some of the toughest people I've dealt with in my life, God's placed there to expose these work. I like to think of these this this anger. I like to think of this depression. I like to think of frustration as big red flags that are raised up that says, I'm trying to do things through my flesh. I'm trying to do things outside of the kingdom of God. What's the Bible say if someone's to harm us, we're to turn the other cheek? What's the Bible? I mean, how many times did you see Jesus mad at other people and upset at other people? Time we see that he turned the tables over in the temple. God calls us to be a godly people. God calls us to find all things that pertain to life and godliness and to find him in the midst of the storm and to serve him. And by the way, sometimes we don't have a lot to give, but our testimony, you know, we're to reach out to a lost and dying world full of hurt people. I found out a long time ago, hurting people hurt people. And I'll tell you what, I don't want to be one of those people. I want to be one of those people that are full of love, full of self-worth, full of significance and full of security that says, I am who I am by the grace of God. I am who I am. Paul said this, he said, forgetting those things which are behind, but pressing forward to the mark of a high calling. That's what we need to do. Forget Get those situations we were in. We need revelation deep in our spirit that God says, I love you so much I died for you. Revelation deep in our spirit that says you have so much worth that you're worth the same no matter the, where you are in life, no matter. You know, I want my significance met. I need revelation and significance. And no matter what someone else thinks about me, I don't have to try to produce for them. All I can do is work the best that I can, be the steward that I am, and give the best that I can. And God says that I'm significant in him. And then last but not least that I need revelation and security. I need my security to be met. I am secure. You know, we're not promised tomorrow, the Bible says. We're not even promised the next moment. It could be all gone in the moment when the trump of God sounds in the twinkling of an eye and God help me to be up and about the Father's business operating in the Spirit of God that I do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. God bless you. Hope you have a great time. Hope you've enjoyed this. See you next time.